AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here too. So that makes this a rough and tumble, rootin' tootin' episode of Stuff You Should Know. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Pretty good. You just celebrated a birthday just 24 hours ago. And uh, less. Yeah, I did. Happy birthday, Chuck. Thanks, man. How do you On feel? The go. Good? I feel great. I feel... I'm, I'm tired today, but not because of birthdays. I'm just... I don't know. I'm tired today. Do you remember the times back, years back, when you would be tired because of your birthday? <laughs> right, exactly. It's like now, the day after. Uh. Right, exactly. Now you're just tired because you're a full year older. Yeah, I was tired before my birthday too. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, but we're not talking about being tired or birthdays, Chuck, are we? We're talking about playing cards. Yeah, this one, uh, Dave Bruce helped us out. This is chock full of fun little nuggets that I think next time you're playing cards with people, mm-hmm. you can just kind of pepper these in. Yeah, and they'll love you for it. They'll say, give us another one. Yeah, say, this, well, is, this on. is one of those that just has lots and lots and lots of little fun factoids. And yes, I said factoids. <laughs> yeah, they're 10% of a fact. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so boy. I wonder we, if anyone will get that. A couple people will on the Army okay. page, I'm sure. Um, mm. So, uh, Chuck, we talked a lot about playing cards before in our tarot episode. Yeah. Um, and one of the things we, we talked about was that uh, it's a myth that playing cards developed from tarot, which is what I had always thought, too. I don't know. I don't remember if I said that on the tarot episode, but um, it was quite the opposite. And playing cards were around long before tarot cards were, even though they are related, tarot cards were originally invented as um, new trump cards, basically. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of evolved into the cardomancy and all that stuff. And just took off from there and went on their own path. But playing cards themselves are much, much older. And there's a lot of debate about exactly where the first playing cards were developed. And a lot of people say China. Obviously, China invented a bunch of stuff. And it's possible China did invent playing cards. But they seem to have possibly invented them in isolation. And they may or may not have influenced the playing cards that we trace our lineage back to our playing cards today trace its lineage back to yeah and they may not be uh as far as the original chinese cards go as old as they think uh because you know some people point to uh, this game called the uh yezi ge 
Yeah? I'll go with that. Okay. Y-E-Z-I, uh, separate word, G-E, mm-hmm. uh, called the Chinese Leaf Game. And this was like 9th century CE, Tang Dynasty time. And for a long time, people, I think, were like, well, the leaves and the leaf game were pieces of paper mm-hmm. and probably cards. But then more, you know, scrutiny has uh, landed on, no, maybe the leaves were just like a rule book mm-hmm. or a log book that you wrote stuff down because it was really a dice-throwing game. Right. Or it could have been more like dominoes, and the cards were used in that way, but not used like actual playing cards. Right. But we do think we know pretty sure that uh, the Chinese eventually did get their playing cards in isolation in the 13th century, not, I mean, pretty close to when Europe got them. Yeah, so 1294 is the first unambiguous reference to an actual, what we would call playing cards in China. Mm -hmm. Europe, they showed up in 1365. So that is a really, really short amount of time for China to have influenced Europe. That's not where European cards came from. Instead, European cards came from the Mamluk Empire, which I believe we also talked about in the tarot episode too, right? I think so, uh, in Egypt. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. Like, these cards came about because of— uh, or, or they got popularized, I guess, because of trick-taking games, like not the exact games we play today, like Euchre and Spades and Hearts, and I think Bridge is another one. Mm-hmm. But the, kind of a similar thing where you have, you know, a suit that takes the hand, uh, a.k.a. the trick, right. and there's usually a trump card or a trump suit. And these were like among the very first card games, and apparently in medieval times they were wild for this game. Yeah, these kinds of games. They went so nuts that some officials were like, you have to stop playing that. We're going to actually ban it. Yeah. We, don't, we don't get it, and you guys are into it, so we're going to say you can't do that anymore. Right, but those Mamluk cards from Egypt were pretty similar to what we have today, right? Yeah, so there's 52 in a deck, which is Check. what we have today. Four suits. Check. 13 cards per suit. The... Yes. Is that what we have? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, yes, that's right. So, yes, that uh, 13 times 4 is 52. Well, I think where I'm getting mixed up is they had a number one card, but they did not have a queen. Is that the swap? Correct. Okay. So, yeah, they had a one card, one through 10, and then they had courtesan cards, which we call court cards or face cards today. Mm -hmm. But like you said, they didn't have a queen. The queen wasn't introduced until the French in, the, I think, the 15th century, um, said, no, we, we need to feminize this a little bit, and yeah. much for the better. But uh, uh, back in the Arab world, they were like, no, we're not doing that. This is the, the, thir- the 12th, 13th century. Um, we're just going to go with the Malik, the king, mm-hmm. the Naib Malik, which would be the king's, like, right-hand man. Sure. The Thani Naib, which would be the king's right-hand man, right-hand man. The second AD. Yes. And um, that was it. Those were the, those in, in addition to one through 10, those were your 13 cards in each suit. And the suits themselves, um, the, like the cards had a lot of similarities to what we think of today. Like they had pips. Mm-hmm. Each suit was represented by a symbol that's called a pip. Um, and I never knew that. I knew that somewhere in the back of my head. I'm not sure okay. why, but. If you looked at one of these cards, one of these very ancient um, Mamluk deck cards, um, there would be, say, like um, 13 or, say, eight pips 
on one card, that's the eight of, say, cups. If there yeah. were eight cups on there. Just like today. If there's eight little um, spades on there, that's the eight of spades. That, I mean, this is it follows in a really old tradition, I guess is what I'm trying to say, in a really, really <laughs> clumsy way. Well, the difference is they didn't write a number eight. They just had eight of the pips pictured to represent yes. that number. Right? And we still have that. We just added the number as well. Exactly. We, we've got both. Yes. And we'll, we'll get to there because it's, I, I think, the history of how these things sort of change from country to country as they became the leading manufacturers is pretty interesting. It really is. They say, uh, we'll take over from here every century or so. Yeah. And I think it looks like as far as Europe goes, the Spanish and the Italians were the first to start uh, manufacturing and using playing cards. Uh, they were called, uh, are called Latin decks. And they had as their four suits, um, the cups, the coins, the swords, and the clubs. But instead of, uh, I don't think we mentioned that a polo stick was the club and the Mamluk cards, Spain said, what the heck is polo? Mm-hmm. Uh, our clubs look like something you beat someone over the head with, so that's what we're going to go with. Yeah, they look like real Captain Caveman type stuff. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So um, the the Spanish um, being among the first to start adopting these decks is pretty pretty appropriate because they were um, under rule by the moops, or they had been uh, for, you know, just a few centuries before. So they were in a lot of contact with uh, their Muslim neighbors. Um, so for that to be imported to Spain and then probably trickle over to Italy, that makes a lot of sense. And so um, that's kind of reflected in what the Spanish word for playing cards is, naipes, N-A-I-P-E-S. And the Arabic name for playing cards is naib, N-A apostrophe I-B. So no very it. clearly dis- descended from it. And that's one of the things that really fascinates me about playing card history is, like, yes, there's neat, like, symbolism and weird stuff going on, but it's all explicable. And it all follows, mm-hmm. like, in this neat tradition that was built upon and changed, but really still kind of kept, like, the general guardrails that it was originally set up with. Yeah. And they're, the changes are, like, kind of fairly minor. Mm-hmm. And they usually have to do with whatever made the most sense in that country. For instance, Spain, not knowing what a polo club was. Right. But they're like, you can hit somebody over the head with that. So we'll replace (laughs) it with the club. (laughs) Yeah, we'll use the smasher. Right. Uh, And there are some speculation and theories about what these initial, uh, and this is in the medieval society, what these four suits represented. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the theories that kind of makes sense, I think, is that the sword uh, was for the military or the nobles. Uh, the cup for the clergy, the coin for the merchants, makes sense, and the club for the peasants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in Europe, we moved to Germany. They kind of took over in the 15th century as making, as being, I guess, champion card makers. Sure. And they replaced the cup with a heart. It's getting a little more like we know it now. Yeah. Uh, the club was replaced by an acorn. Which is a type of mast. Type of mast. <laughs> Uh, the sword becomes a leaf, but if you look at it, it's sort of the a, a similar shape as what we would know as a spade. Yeah, it's like an ivy leaf almost. Yeah. And then the coin, uh, because they were nuts about falconry mm-hmm. in 15th century Germany and falcons uh, had bells attached to the hawks uh, and falcons, I guess. Why don't they call it hawkery? Uh, I think falcons <laughs> take the cake in falconry. Okay. You know, hawks it. play second fiddle to it. They're like the... Um, uh, Thani Naib. 
to the to the Falcons. <laughs> you know, the joke here in Atlanta that I use is whenever we see a hawk or a falcon, and we have both, mm -hmm. obvious as evidenced by our sports teams. Uh, Emily says, is that a hawk or a falcon? And I said, well, you'd know it's a falcon if it flew into a tree and then hit the ground. What does that mean? The, the reference to the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, I see. Yeah. Like it was like, I'm flying so high. And then no, right. not anymore. All of a sudden. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, doesn't uh, the same apply to the Hawks too? Well, or do the Hawks yeah. just never get off the ground? No, you could kind of interchange them. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the, the Falcons and Hawks had bells <laughs> uh, and the coin on the German cards became a bell because they were wild about falconry. Yeah, it's very cute. The Germans had definitely the most rustic pips of all time. Mm -hmm. I mean, an acorn. Come on. That's wonderful. So Pretty the Germans great. are going along. Uh, this is the 15th century. They dominated that as far as the card manufacturing went. And then the French took over uh, in the 16th century. And Rouen, uh, which is kind of in the northwest of France, mm -hmm. became the playing card capital of Europe. And one of the reasons it became the playing card capital of Europe, as we'll see, is because they put out so many playing cards and their production increased so dramatically that it's just mind-boggling. And as a result, the pips that the French uh, adapted are the ones we still use today, even though we have different names. They were the ones who came up with the designs we use today. Yeah, so they were hearts and clovers, self-explanatory. Mm -hmm. uh, they had the diamonds, but their diamonds were... Uh, represented uh, paving tiles called caro, uh, and then the pike, which is the the spear tip. I guess is the spade. Right, just the tip. Right, right. But they didn't. Uh, <laughs> oh, he always get me with that. They don't. Uh, they didn't call it a spade at the time. Um, but they did a couple of key things as far as what we recognize as playing cards today. Is they came up with the red and the black colors. Mm -hmm. Very big deal uh, to differentiate that and to make card tricks more fun. Mm -hmm. And then they, like you said, they manufactured a ton of them, and they did this because they standardized the pips so that they could be stenciled on, and it was a lot cheaper and a lot faster than hand drawing or doing wood cuttings and hand painting these decks of cards, which was super expensive and and time consuming. Yes, and it made the cards, the deck of cards, incredibly unattainable to the average person um, back in the the you know up to the 16th century when the, the French took over. And once the French took over and started producing these cards en masse, um, it, mm. the card playing was just, um, it just took off like a rocket. It, people had already loved playing cards, but now more people could love playing cards. And it was because they figured out how to print these things, you know, more cheaply and more quickly. So that's why we use the French card today, just by virtue of the fact that they produced so many that it became like the dominant type of card in the world. And then the other reason I saw is that England eventually adopted the French card um, mm -hmm. and then kind of put their own twist on it, basically just renaming it. And then British colonialism is one reason why so many people around the world use the French deck today. So they took the French deck and spread it around the world. Yeah, and so the English, like you said, they sort of, they use the same PIP uh, icons. Uh, I was about to say logo, but I guess they're icons. Mm -hmm. And they just, just sort of changed the meaning. So the the clover, they went back to calling it the club, mm -hmm. even though it's a clover when you look at it. So that's why, you've, if you've ever wondered why in the heck do they call <laughs> that thing a, a club, 
That's yeah. why. It's a it's a uh, hat tip to the um, Mamluk. The OGs, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the spade it looks like sort of the head of a, a spade, a type of shovel. Mm-hmm. Um, but we think that the suit name actually probably, and this makes a lot of sense, is the anglicized version of espada, uh, which means sword in Spanish, because sword right. was the original suit. And then the diamond, they just called the diamond, but they said, you know what, this has nothing to do with dumb paving tiles. Let's right. just call it a diamond. And as Dave so aptly puts, a heart is just a heart. Is that an actual song, or are you making up your own? I just made that up, but I bet you there's a song that goes, a heart is just a heart. Boy, you really you really do that in actuality, huh? <laughs> well, that doesn't really count. It's usually more like, uh, and by the way, we heard from a lot of listeners who do this. I know. Yeah, you're definitely well. far from alone. Yeah, I don't. I didn't think I was unique in any way, but it's um, it's usually uh, like sung to the lyrics or sung to the tune of another song. Right. Like you when I mean? you're a heart, you're a heart all the way. Right. <laughs> like that. Exactly. I looked up um that where that heart shape came from because if you think about it, our hearts don't really resemble that very much. Mm-hmm. And, oh, like the human heart? Yes. Yeah. And what, what is that? I know. I cannot find the original source. There's a lot of debate oh. over it, but it's centuries old. And prior to it, when it first started to emerge, um, the the heart was kind of Iconographied. Mm-hmm. Agrified? I don't know. No, I think you had it right. Okay. Um, as a kind of a pine cone shape. Oh, interesting. Which is a little more accurate, but I like the, the new heart icon. New meaning centuries old, but the most recent one. Yeah, I mean, that'd be very funny if it looked like the actual human heart. <laughs> yeah, he just, you know, the guy in uh, Temple of Doom just pulls out right. like this heart emoji from the guy's chest. Uh, should we take a break? Uh, yes, I think we should. All right, we're going to take a break and get to those uh, face cards right after this. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey everybody, it's time to talk about Squarespace. And in particular, Squarespace's Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system only from Squarespace. It makes it easier than ever for anybody to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. That's because you start with a best-in-class website template. Then you customize every design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. You can stretch your imagination online with Fluid Engine, built in and ready to go on any new Squarespace site. 
Yep, you can use your site to easily sell custom merch through your online store. You can upload, organize, and access all your content from one place with your asset library. And those amazing website templates are all flexible with designs for every category and use case. That's right. So just go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you'll have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. All right, so we mentioned the courtesan cards, uh, a.k.a. face cards is how we know them today. Mm -hmm. Uh, They represented the royal court, of course. And just like today, back then, they were the, the, you know, the champion cards, the most valuable on the deck. Uh, We'll get to the ace. There was no ace card yet. Yeah. And I I think the story of the ace card is pretty cool anyway, so we'll save that. So, so great. Uh, But these face cards were all men. Uh, until, like you mentioned before, the French introduced the queen. Mm-hmm. And here, to me, is one of the first really fun facts of the episode <laughs> that I love, is for a long, long time, and I guess they don't do it anymore, but in the UK and in British India, they would follow what they called Commonwealth rule or British rule, mm-hmm. which is to say that the king and the queen can flip-flop in uh, which one is better in status, mm-hmm. depending on who the monarch is at the time. So if you have a, a woman on the throne, then the queen is the top card just right. below the ace or until the ace was uh, came along. Yeah, pretty neat. Pretty cool. Yeah, agreed. Um, what, something I didn't realize is that for many centuries, the kings, the queens, and the jacks, which were at the time called the knaves, mm-hmm. were actually modeled on historical figures. Yeah. Like uh, Charlemagne was the king of hearts, I believe. King David, the guy who killed um, Goliath, he was spades. Julius Caesar was diamonds. And Alexander the Great was clubs. Had no idea. But like if you look at a super old deck, and I'm guessing somewhere around probably up into the 19th century at some point, you could say, yeah, of course that's Charlemagne. I'd recognize him anyway. (laughs) Look at that beard on King David. (laughs) Right. He's juggling a rock. Uh, do we should we go through the queens and the jacks, or just suffice yeah. to say that they stood for people? No, I think we should give them a okay. shout out. Uh, the queens were uh, Pallas of Athena, uh, Judith, Rachel, and Arjean, um, which could be an anagram for Regina. That's uh, I've seen that queen. all over the place. If you if you search Arjean, the only thing that comes up is the card name. So there doesn't seem to have been a historical person named Arjean. Yeah, this is one of those upon research that it's kind of like it's difficult to corroborate some of this stuff, but you see the same facts everywhere, mm-hmm. which a lot of times, you know, when we did our episode on how to research stuff well, uh, that can be a big red flag. Yeah. But maybe this is the case where it's not so much a red flag and just like 
lore that people have just agreed upon. Yeah, because uh, you know, if it is if it, if there is a red flag attached to it, we usually turn it up eventually, and this one just mm-hmm. didn't seem to have it. But yes, I, I'm with you. It smelled like it, but upon a right. <laughs> much deeper smell, I was like, okay, this might this might actually work. Who were the jacks? The jacks were Hector, who was the uh, hero from the Greek city of Troy. Mm-hmm. Um, Etienne de Vignoles, who was a hero of the Hundred Years' War in France. Okay. Ogier the Dane, who was Charlemagne's knight. Mm-hmm. And it, either Judah Maccabee or Lancelot was the knave of clubs. Um, and Judah Maccabee was from the Hanukkah story. Lancelot oh, was one yeah. of King Arthur's I remember knights. That. Yeah. The Maccabees. So yeah, if, depending on the deck you had, it would it would basically you would you just knew back in the day that if you were playing mm-hmm. the King of Hearts, that was Charlemagne right there. It wasn't just this yeah. generic weird looking king. Um, it was supposed to be somebody. Yeah, a brand name king. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and speaking of brand name kings, the got to talk about the Suicide King. Definitely, uh, that is the king that looks like he's stabbing himself in the head with a sword. Uh, that is the one, if you're looking at a modern deck of cards, uh, that's the King of Hearts, and that's the one that looks most different from the other kings mm-hmm. uh, in that he has four hands and does not have the mustache, which right. is interesting. Yeah. And like I said, appears to be stabbing himself with a sword. Uh, for a long time, there was a legend that that's how Charlemagne uh, took his life, but we know that's not true right? because uh, he died of uh, pleurisy. But what they now think is um, that the early uh, French decks, Anglo-French decks, had a king of hearts with an axe above his head. Mm-hmm. And that just printing over time, the axe went kind of further and further down until it was behind his head such that you couldn't even see the axe blade. And so I guess that axe handle just became a sword, looking like it was going into the king's head. Yeah, and now that you know, so like that axe was originally, it was like the, the king of hearts was captured in the backswing. Like he was about to chop somebody with his axe, right? Yeah, yeah. And now if you know that, you can see that the king of hearts is now just doing the same thing with a sword. He's in the backswing. Yeah. He's about to lob someone's head off. (laughs) Right, but not his own. Lob, Yeah. Either one. The, the, The important point is someone's head is about to come off. They don't care whether it's lob or lop. Look at that. No mustache. Yeah, no stash. And um, one other thing. The King of Diamonds now is the only one with an axe, which I never noticed before. I didn't either. I mean, you don't often, or at least I don't often, sit around and look at a a deck of cards. Like, I play cards, Mm -hmm. but I never study them because it's sort of one of those things that's so uh, ubiquitous in your life over the years. Right. That you don't really, uh, eh, it's interesting, might tie into our semantic uh, satiation. Mm. Short stuff coming up. Nice tease. But uh, let's talk about that ace card because uh, it took a while for the ace, and it has a really neat story of how it happened, but it took a while for the ace to become the high card Mm -hmm. because when the ace eventually did come along, it was the number one, and it was the lowest card. It was the worst card on the deck. Right. Uh, It was so lowly that they referred to it as an as, Mm -hmm. which was the least valuable coin in the Roman Empire. Uh, But then the French changed all that, right? Yeah, which is, this is why the ace can sometimes be the highest card in the deck or serve as the number one card. Because mm-hmm. if you ever, if you've never noticed before, the number cards start at two. They go through yeah. two through nine, right? No, two through ten. Yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. I'm 100% certain. It's 2 through 10. But this as, the AS card, it was named after the least valuable coin in the Roman Empire. And it was kind of like a slang term to kind of just talk about how lowly the, that one card was. Then the French Revolution came along, and they kind of conceptually pitted the as card against the court cards. And they said, you know what? This lowly one, we're going to make it topple the court, the king, the queen, the jack. That. And now the ace is the top of the, the heap. This little lowly single card is now higher than any of the other ones. And then, by the way, they also changed the king, queen, and jack to liberties, equalities, and fraternities. Um, yeah. So they didn't, they weren't really into um, kings and queens at, around the French Revolution very much. Yeah. And if you've ever wondered why the ace is uh, the most sort of lavishly decorated card, generally speaking, uh, it's got a cool story behind that one, too. Yeah. So the British had a, a pretty interesting solution to taxing decks of cards, mm-hmm. which was if you were a card maker, you had to, you couldn't print your own ace of spades. You right. had to get that from the government uh, as an official, you know, <laughs> card of the British Empire. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that was your that was your tax. And they were, um, as such, they were very highly decorated. They were uniquely stamped to try and prevent uh, forgeries from mm-hmm. happening. Right. And you couldn't, like, as a card manufacturer, if you were just like, forget that. I'm not going to, we're just going to print our own ace of spades and they'll never know. Uh, You could be hung or have your head lopped off or lobbed off. You could be hanged, you mean. The penalty, what did I say, hung? Yeah. The penalty was death if you forged an ace of spades playing card. Yeah, there was a man named Richard Harding, which as far as I or anybody else can tell, was hanged for forging an ace of spades. Isn't that nuts? It, that is crazy to think about. And a weird, I guess, uh, it sounds like a weird way to pull off a tax, but it's also sort of brilliant in a way. Yeah. But, I mean, that's why, so each company had their own design, and it was a lavish design, and that's why still today the Ace of Spades just stands out as the most lavishly designed card. There was one other thing about that, too. While they were, during that period, I think in the early 19th century to the mid 19th century, the name for those Ace of Spades was Old Frizzle. Old Frizzle. Yeah, I found that on a, a website. A, there was a post about the evolution of the or the history of the evolution of playing cards, written by a game reviewer uh, named Ender's Game. Oh, and I thought it was going to be Snoop Dogg. No, no, but it does have a definite Snoop quality to it, doesn't it? Yeah, that's kind of fun. Uh, if you've ever, you know, bicycle playing cards are a very popular brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer the uh, aviation poker cards, personally. Okay. But I like a, a good bicycle deck. Uh, if you've ever looked at the Ace of Spades, uh, you might see the number 808 on there. And there's long been speculation that there was some sort of um, cryptic meaning behind what the 808 is. Uh, and apparently it's just a model number uh, because they had earlier decks that were 606s. So there's no, like, kind of fun hidden meaning to that. No, and bicycle is not its own company. It's actually the eighth edition of the U.S. playing card company's designs. Right. It's the eighth design they came up with. So that's what that 808 is. And so um, the, you'll find that 808 on the Ace of Spades, you said, right? Ace of Spades, baby. So that Ace of Spades, in particular, the bicycle aid Ace of Spades, has a really storied history as far as world wars go. Mm-hmm. 
Um, apparently in World War II, uh, the Ace of Spades was considered a lucky card. And so sometimes you'd see soldiers carrying the Ace of Spades around with them. Yeah, or you see, you see it a lot in the uh, tucked in the helmet in those war movies. Yes, and this is why most often you'll see it in Viet- movies about the Vietnam War. There is a, a myth that was apparently considered correct at the time that the Viet Cong viewed the Ace of Spades as a symbol of death. They, the, the legend was that French cartomancers uh, who had occupied the country previous to the war um, had basically introduced them to the Ace of Spades as a, as a doom card, and the, the Viet Cong were just scared to death of it. That's the yeah. legend. But that's not true? From what I saw, it seems to not necessarily be true. What, okay. Now we're coming into the true part. There were a couple of um, lieutenants, I believe, in Charlie Company who rode into the bicycle, um, to the U.S. playing card company, makers mm-hmm. of bicycle cards, and explained this and said, could we just get decks of nothing but the Ace of Spades? And U.S. playing card company said, you got it. And they, for the war effort. <laughs> they actually did produce decks of nothing but Ace of Spades for U.S. soldiers to use to scare or intimidate the Viet Cong. Yeah, and they were called the Bicycle, trademarked brand, the Bicycle Secret Weapon. Mm-hmm. And apparently they would they would drop these cards throughout uh, villages and the jungles and stuff just to sort of, you know, freak them out, or even though they may to. not have been. Yeah, but even if it didn't work as, you know, because the Viet Cong were already primed to be afraid of the Ace of Spades, you would probably start to associate it with some bad stuff if any time yeah. you came upon, like, a, 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 a fallen soldier of yours with an Ace of Spades on his chest laying in the jungle. Sure. Even if it hadn't already had that connotation before, I'm sure it developed that connotation pretty quickly just by use of it. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I came across uh, one in my closet the other day, and I came across my box of trading cards. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I popped them out and kind of looked through them real quick. The one thing I forgot that I had in addition to all those Star Wars cards, and it turns <laughs> out I have a lot of Star Wars cards, uh, and I looked, and they're apparently they're not valuable or not oh. very valuable. Um, but I had a bunch of uh, Superman the movie trading cards. I remember those, man. Yeah, like they're they're photographs from the movie, right? Yeah, they're, yeah, just yeah. like little scene stills uh-huh. or whatever. I remember uh, those. <laughs> and then also, even though I don't even remember necessarily being that into the show, I guess I watched it a little bit. But I also have some Battlestar Galactica Ooh. uh cards, eighties version, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a, a fair amount of. Football, NBA, hockey, but mostly baseball cards. Right. That I think are all basically worthless. You just jogged my memory. I remember now that they had Rambo trading cards for a little while. Oh, I would have loved to have had those. The kind of, I guess it was three, where he's like shirtless and shooting like rockets at at people. (laughs) I I mean, I was a first blood guy. Uh, and then, you know, the Rambos got a little more ridiculous with each one, (laughs) you could say, (laughs) but I stand by First Blood as being a really great movie. Yeah. Um, it is, it's a good movie, but it's its own, it's a different genre than the other two. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I fully agree. Although I do have to say that First Blood never produced the greatest chewing gum of all time. Second greatest chewing gum of all time, Rambo chewing gum, which is blackberry flavored (laughs) big league chew. 
Oh, Oh, really? my God. It was good. And it was second only to lemon-lime bubble yum, the kind that was green on the outside with the yellow center. Yeah, oh, I love that stuff. There is a pack for sale on eBay, and every once in a while I'm like, would it still work? <laughs> Could I still chew it? Should I buy that? Like a toothbreaker. Yeah, probably, but, man, that'd be amazing. Did the Big League Chew have a little caricature of Rambo on it? It had, like, a movie still of him shirtless with a rocket launcher shooting it at somebody and, like, a a big fire explosion (laughs) in the background. That rocket launcher. Yeah, and you'd just put the whole pack in your cheek and be like, somebody give me a rocket launcher. (laughs) It's amazing how many products they marketed at us that were Phony uh, tobacco products. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I used to do, remember beef jerky chew? It was like a can of dip, but it was shredded Uh beef jerky. Love (laughs) that stuff. Gum (laughs) cigarettes that you could puff on. They still have those. I saw those recently. Do they really? And I was like, what? They still make these? And in my local convenience store. Wow, that's very surprising. Yeah, it was pretty funny. What about those um, pink gum cigars? I don't remember those. They were they were just a long stick of gum in the shape of a cigar, and then it had like a cigar band wrapper on it, and they tasted awful. It was the most awful gum there was. Worse than like the, the sticks that you would get in old baseball card packs. But um, it was just a different taste, and it was not good gum. But they were still fun to like, you know, pretend you were an right. up-and-coming <laughs> smoker with. I wonder if there's a, a candy cane blunt or something like that we don't know about. <laughs> I suddenly realized why I started smoking at age 14. <laughs> I was kind of primed to do that. Also, before we break, I know we're tangenting on tangents, but uh, I meant to clear up when I told that story about Emily getting uh, a note from her mom to buy cigarettes at the at the store. <laughs> yeah. She was like six years old. <laughs> wow. Th- this wasn't a teenage thing because you were like, yeah, I bought them when I was 10 or 11. Right. She was younger than my daughter, and just the thought of her going into a store mm-hmm. at that age, a child, and getting cigarettes uh, because you have a note is just, it, it doesn't get any more 70s than that. I'm, well, not just that, it's very Ohio, too. Yeah. So I much understand. so, I'm going to coin a new term that's so Ohio. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I like We're it. We're using that from now on. All right. Uh, well, let's reel it in, take a break, and we'll come back and talk about the. Uh, Joker or the Joker <laughs> right after this. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. 
Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you'll have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Hey, everyone. We all know that experiences are what people love the most about travel. So that's why we want to talk to you about Viator. It's a website and app where you can book travel experiences, like maybe taking a food tour in a great European city. Yeah, Viator offers everything from simple tours to extreme adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. You put all that together, that means there's something for everyone. That's right. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have all the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. And when you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. So download the Viator app now and use code V-I-A-T-O-R-10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app over 300,000 travel experiences that you will remember. Do more with Viator. Okay, Chuck, you really teased it up right before this this ad break. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about euchre, and, mm-hmm. and which is where the Joker came from. You play mm-hmm. euchre? Yeah, we've talked about it on the show. It's, oh, that's uh, right. My uh, Ohio relatives introduced me to it, mm-hmm. and uh, I had to get it re-explained every Christmas because I could, just could never remember the rules. Right. Euchre is very Sohio. Yes, <laughs> it's Sohio. But euchre um, came from the Alsace region of Germany, and it was originally called euchre spiel. Okay? Yeah, with a, with the a J-U-C-K. Yes, J-U-C-K-E-R spiel. Whereas what's the Euchre card game? How's that spelled that we play? Today it's spelled U or sorry, E-U-C-H-R-E, Euchre. And then Dave right. points out like Eucharist. And I think he was trying to trigger in us a mention that he's the host of the hit podcast Biblical Time Machine. <laughs> That's why I think he put that in there. Was that what it was? Okay. Uh, although there's not many words out there that are like the word Euchre, but we we Latinized right. it, right? From J U C K E R to E-U-C-H-R-E. But originally, that J-U-C-K-E-R, um, in America, people started calling it Juker with the hard J, like the J pronounced, not like a Y. And mm-hmm. that, that very quickly became Joker, which was a card that was designed expressly for the game of Euchre, right? That's right. Uh, the Jolly Joker, who uh, has always been Sort of a uh, sort of a court jestery imp like person, mm-hmm. uh, and they think that that's a reference to the 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 Joker in Euchre was a trickster who took the tricks of the game because he was the super uh, trump card. Yeah, exactly, like the number one trump card. And we we're not going to go over Euchre, but it's all about the trump cards and descending value of the bower and the left bower, right, and then the the uber card, which is the euchre or the joker, and they call those those original trump cards the right and left bower, b o w e r, like they're in the act of bowing, mm-hmm. but that's actually a bastardization of the German bower, b a u e r, which means farmer in German, 
Mm, like Jack Bauer. Yeah. So it's really interesting to see how just completely mixed up things can get. Yeah. When you just change the the spelling of a word and even pronounce it the same, but just change some spellings here or there, and all of a sudden you have you've just completely lost its original meaning and adopted yeah. a new one. I find yeah, that fascinating. Kind of but anyway, to sum this up, the Joker was created to become the best Bauer, the Imperial Bauer, and then over time, because it was associated expressly with Euchre, Juker, it became the Joker. That's right. Uh, and we're going to finish up with some fun poker facts slash Las Vegas facts. Yeah. Uh, here's one. Barry Manilow has his own blackjack tables. <laughs> yes, we've seen them with our own eyes. Didn't play on them because I didn't want to desecrate it by losing on a Barry Manilow table. <laughs> uh, but playing cards and gambling, obviously, is, uh, you know, people started gambling with playing cards a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to poker or really any kind of card game you're gambling with, they wanted to, um, understandably, not have their cards be seen by other people. Right. So these sort of gigantic icons of suits and these bigger um, fonts and things like that wasn't working out. So for poker cards, they introduced a few uh, few little uh, changes to make this more possible to hold your hand tighter together. And that is called the squeezer card, um, which was, you know, the first cards to have a very small symbol at the top left corner mm-hmm. uh, indicating the number and the pip right. uh, or the suit. Right. And so that means that's why when you see a poker player holding that really tight hand, uh, all you need is that left-hand corner barely exposed. Yeah, and those little, the little, the, the pip with the number or the letter of the face card, <clears throat> it's called an indice. Those are indices. And before them, the reason why it makes so much sense in poker, like you were saying, you, you used to have to spread your cards out wide to say like, oh, there's nine pips on here. This is a nine of clubs. And now it was just kind of marked in the corner, which is great because you're not sharing your hand with the other people. There was another way you could give away what kind of cards you had in old style cards um, in that the, the, the face cards, the court cards, were printed one direction. There was one direction that was up and one direction that was down. Not like today where they're both up or down. It doesn't matter which way it's dealt. Before you would have had to have taken that court card and flipped it around uh, if it was dealt to you upside down, and you would have just told everybody at the table, I have at least one face card in here. Yeah, with total give. Um, and think about the Mamluks. They had to sit there and out loud go, one, two, three, four, five, six. And they would have to count those pips, and everyone would know you have a six of something. Right, but that's what that's what the <laughs> poker players had to do, too, But well, like up until you had the squeezer cards. I thought they had the number on there. They just had a bigger number. I don't. Did they not have the number at all? No, I don't think they had the number at all until the the squeezer, the indices cards were introduced. And there was one other thing about it too. Why would they do that? Because other decks of playing cards had numbers on them. Why didn't they just use those? Like prior to the nineteenth century. No, just prior to the squeezer card. They did. So the squeezer card came out in the nineteenth century. Is what I'm saying. Oh, have they been around for that long? Yeah. 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 Yes. And that's the first time that the actual number was printed? Yes. Before, you would just have nine hearts on there. There you go. I thought they just did it super small. No. Well, no. They they put it super small, like out of the gate, but that was to... To, to so you wouldn't have to spread your cards out and see what you were dealing with. You see what I'm saying? Okay, I got you. Sure, sure. The other thing that was changed with the indices, Chuck, was remember I said that the jacks used to be called knaves? Mm-hmm. 
and a knave is like a, an assistant to the royal family, basically, or a knight or something like that. And it's spelled mm-hmm. like knight, K-N-A-V-E. Well, now that you have the indices and you have uh, A, K, Q, or J, if you had A, K, Q, or K, N, which is how they initially abbreviated knave, if you didn't spread your card far enough, you might think you had a king, but in fact you had a jack. And they actually changed knave to jack because of those indices at the top. Yeah. And they also used to be white on the back. They didn't even have fancy decorations. That's right. And, it, you know, if you have a, it's very easy to mark a white card with some smudge or something, or it might just accidentally give uh, get a smudge or a stain or something. Sure. You're eating Doritos at a poker game? That's <laughs> exactly. going to get everywhere. And then, you know, of course, the Dorito card is the Ace of Spades or whatever. Right. Uh, and apparently the uh, Thomas de la Rue and Company was a British printer who was first credited with those uh, beautiful lithographic designs on the back mm-hmm. uh, in the early 19th century. Uh, and I did mention Vegas. Right. Uh, if you you dug this stuff up, it was kind of fun. If you wonder how how much they switch decks of cards in Vegas, mm-hmm. if it's going wild and crazy, they might switch a deck of cards every hour. Yeah. For that same reason, they don't want them to get marked so that somebody would have an advantage by noticing that there's like a fray on the Ace of Spades, you know, right corner or something. Yeah. The most that they use them for is 12 hours, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's at the Berryman table, which wasn't getting much action. <laughs> no. There was another thing, too, that a lot of people point out that we have no idea whether it was purposeful or not, but it's pretty astounding if it's coincidence, right, about the whole the seasons and the year and the months and all that? Yeah. 52 cards. Right. 52 weeks. Yes. The two colors, are they uh, night and day? Yes. Do those four seats rep, uh, suits represent the four seasons, perhaps? Correct. And then what's the last? Just knock them down here. There's 12 court cards. There's 12 months in the year. There's 13 cards in each suit, and there's 13 full moons in a year. The one that, so up to this point, you're like, wow, that's pretty amazing. This is the one that gets me. If you count every single pip on all 52 cards and add them together, there are 365 of them. What? Yeah, isn't that neat? That's good stuff. I agree. Uh, and there's a pretty cute TED Talk by a guy named um, Marco Tempest from a f- several years back where he explains all this while doing pretty neat card tricks. It's, it's a good one. You can find it on YouTube. All right. You got anything else about cards? I got nothing else about cards. We've done tarot cards, trading cards, playing cards. I guess greeting cards is next. Well, yeah, we could do one on uh, the Hallmark Company. Maybe they'll sponsor it. (laughs) Oh, that's a great idea. We'll talk to ad sales about that one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, while we're off talking to ad sales, um, well, we'll hold off on that and instead do a listener mail first. Uh, I'm going to call this just to follow up as I was talking about people making up their own songs. We heard from quite a few listeners. Mm-hmm. It seems like mostly bored dads who uh, <laughs> do the same thing as I do. Uh, the very, uh, this is from, who is this from? This is from Jeff. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, guys, at the very beginning of the episode, Chuck details how he makes up songs like that's tomorrow. My eyes lit up because, dude, I do the exact same thing. Uh, maybe it's a common thing that most people do. And they're too embarrassed to admit to but I've never met anyone else who claims they do it. Uh, One example from last night I'm particularly proud of was I was making my three-year-old daughter dinner, grabbed the box of Annie's macaroni and cheese. Shout out to Annie's. 
and almost involuntary the words involuntarily the words flew out of my mouth and i'll go ahead and sing it in the tune of uh nights and white satin oh okay shells and white cheddar Huh. Microwave is your friend. Very nice. I don't know what's better when there's not much to spend. <laughs> That's, That's pretty great. good stuff. Yeah, that was really good. Also had a That's... little social commentary <laughs> at the end, too. Yeah, and that's uh, from Jeff with a G. Because it's Annie's brand, I was expecting him to say something like, it's a mac and cheese night for us. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Uh-huh. Wow, I'm getting on that train too, Chuck. It is intoxicating, isn't it? It is intoxicating. Well, if you want to be like... Jeff. Jeff, and tell us about some amazing song you came up with. Way to go, by the way, Jeff. That was pretty great. Uh, You can email us at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car, like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you'll have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply.